Welcome to a new episode of Latinos Who Talk. My name is Hugo Castellanos. Thank you for tuning in. It's that time of the year again, and we're running a survey to make sure that I'm making content that adds value to you. So it's a it will take you uh, two minutes. It's on the show notes for this episode. And I'm asking you, what do you enjoy about the podcast? What don't you enjoy so much about the podcast? And what kind of content do you want to see in the podcast? It'll take you a couple minutes to fill it out. It will be extremely helpful to make sure that this content is valuable and it's timely for you. Also, we started to host meetups virtually over Zoom. Last time we had one, about 18 people showed up and it was great because we got to do breakout rooms and we had one-on-one sessions of speed networking and I think uh, building community and that sense that there's people like us, there's Latinos that work in the tech industry. It's uh, essential. And to make sure that we stay in the industry and we attract more people like us. So last one, yeah, 18 people showed up, more or less. And some people from California, from Florida, from New York, some people from Spain, a couple people in Germany. We have a listener that he's out in, in Madeira in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So it was really nice just to see people that listen to the show and people that find this content valuable. So if you want to sign up for the meetups, there's a link in the show notes for my mailing list. And that's where I publish all the online and in-person events that I organize. So I hope that you sign up. And in this episode, we spoke with Monica Perez. She's a Cuban-American that works at Notion. She actually went to Georgetown for uh, diplomacy to the School of Foreign Service. Quite, quite a bit of a change. She's actually not an engineer, and it's amazing that she shared her story with us because one of the big questions that I get is, hey, can I work in tech if I don't have a tech degree, if I'm not an engineer? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So Monica's story is very special and very inspiring because she walked us through her journey of landing her role at Notion and the other startups that she was at before. So I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you find it inspiring. I love speaking with Monica. She's very humble, very sharp, and she gives some really actionable advice. Monica, welcome to Latinos Who Tech. I love your background. Thank you so much. Yep. Had to shout out Notion. That's fantastic. Hey, I love that Notion has become so so mainstream. I remember a couple of years back when it was only like an engineer, very niche productivity product. I love that now I can go to Starbucks and I see people with Notion yeah. open, like keeping their stuff organized. Yeah, uh, we actually have a Notion in the wild concept and people are always posting photos of when they see people using Notion in the wild. Oh, I was at this coffee shop in SF and everyone had Notion open or people mentioning it on the plane or working on the plane. So yeah, it's really nice to see it have become more ubiquitous in the last couple of years. One of my favorite uses is a, a friend. She actually keeps a catalog of her plants. Of her plants? Yeah, so the plants the, around around her house. 
Yeah. So she keeps, okay, so this is how the plants are doing. And yep. these are the ones that I want to get. And That's so good. So, and like how often to water them and what type they are. Exactly. I, we have seen this. I think there are like plant templates and like plant care templates probably somewhere in the community. And we have a Slack channel at Notion called Plant Parenthood. So it's like <laughs> everyone sharing how they're being good or bad parents to their plants. That's yeah. fantastic. I'm pretty low key. I just I have a content calendar with episodes, people that I like my dream guests that I want to bring to the podcast. That's awesome. and, and that's it. That's, I, it's pretty simple how I use it. Yeah. So. That's great. Yeah, we do see a lot of content creators using it as a database of all of their future ideas or their scheduling or their calendar. So, yeah, it's a good fit. I think the good the good thing about it being fundamentally a database at its core is that you can take that and it has like such a wide range of applications. So we like to start with a little icebreaker. And if you have a magical way, somehow, some way, and you got an extra 10 hours in your week. Wow. Extra 10 hours, no strings attached. They just magically pop up in your calendar. And you can do anything you want with them. I'm curious on what would you do with them with this extra time? I would probably start by sleeping and exercising more. <laughs> because I think that's something that I'm just trying to fit into my regular schedule. So let's get those bases covered first with that extra time. Probably use it actually make real progress on a passion project or a creative project. So I have a dream of writing a book. Mm -hmm. And I always think like, I should write it on the side. But then I'm like, okay, I shouldn't write it on the side. I should wait till some point in my life when I can just sit down and focus and be creative. It's always something I go back and forth on. So yeah, I think 10 extra hours, no strings attached. It wasn't interfering with anything else. I would probably try to make progress on writing a book. Look forward to seeing that. Uh, Monica Perez. <laughs> It'll be my author. first. I'll send it to you. The first one signed. Love it. Love it. I think what I would do with it is, yes, the sleeping in all those things. Yes. I, I feel like I have my bases covered as mm. far as that. But I'm really curious if I, how can I get better at cooking? Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like I, I have this engineering mentality that, okay, let's just optimize meal prep and do all those things. But if you have all this free time, why not? Okay, I want to become the best home chef ever. Totally. And yeah. I love that the ability that some people have that they can just look at a pantry at a fridge and they can, okay, whatever I have, these are the constraints and they make something delicious with it, no matter what. Yeah, I think that definitely takes time and practice to even understand like what things can go together and what things can't. I took a cooking class once and... I still remember a lot of the stuff that I took from that class because there's like actual techniques and there's an actual right way to chop something and there's an actual right way to saute something. And even that, like you just start sharpening those skills little by little and like it goes a long way. I also remember that sound was really important when it comes to cooking, which I had never thought of before. Hmm. But every time I was pan frying or sauteing something, they were like, does it sound right? And I was like, what does that mean? And then they're like, you can tell when something is frying too much and it's so loud and you know that it's bad and it's going to splatter and it's going to burn. But there's a level of frying sound where it's, this is good. It's going to crisp up properly and it can go with that sound for a long period of time without burning. And ever since then, I was like, wow, I never thought, oh, the sound is good. So I know it's cooking well. And now I pay attention 
a lot more to to how something is sounding when it's getting cooked, which is a new thing. I wouldn't have learned that without a class. So now hundreds of people that are listening to this, they just went like this? Yep. Because they are listening to this while they're cooking. Exactly. So <laughs> not only how does it smell and how does it look, but how does it sound? Yeah. Can you hear the garlic sing? Exactly. Yeah, an Italian grandma saying. Love that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so tell me a bit about yourself. How, you know, who's Monica? How do you break into tech? Yeah. So I came from a more liberal arts kind of background, really passionate, I guess, more of the right side of my brain thing, literature, the arts, and followed that path from a young age through college, was really passionate about like reading and history and civics and excelled in that more than the math and the sciences. So tech wasn't really at the top of my mind during those years. I would say maybe if I was closer to STEM, that would have naturally presented itself, but it didn't really for me for a while. And when I went to college, I kept in that mentality, really thought, okay, I can go for pre-law, I can major in literature or major in international affairs, I can go into government. So that was my mentality for a really large part of my life, and I also really enjoyed that. And so I ended up studying international affairs in undergrad, and then I went for my master's in Georgetown, thinking, hey, I'm going to get my master's in Washington, D.C. I could end up at an international organization and continue with that career path. And so that's where things started. After I graduated from my master's at Georgetown, I started working at a large international organization. And this is why I think like keeping an open mind, being flexible is key is because I didn't know what the what was possible in the universe of career tracks of different industries until you're actually in the workforce and you start getting that exposure a little by little. I think most people probably say where they started with their first job is not necessarily where, where they thought it was going to take them to this point in time. So that was definitely me. So I was working at an international organization in D.C., and this was right around the time where it's a little bit of a sadder story today, but at the time when it was becoming very popular and co-working spaces were becoming really popular. And my job allowed us to work from a co-working space. We had a lot of events at a WeWork, even though it was an international organization. It was in D.C. We were like in the mm -hmm. community. And that's when I started getting exposed to startups and seeing startups that were doing really cool things who are based out of the WeWork or having a concept of what new tech was being brought into the world. I think we're all being exposed to the sharing economy at this point. I started using Uber and really getting obsessed with this idea of, hey, these great inventions are taking place and there's these things called startups and they're really making a difference. And that then I going to the root of it, I was like, that's actually what I really always wanted to do was to make a difference. And I thought that I was pursuing that in the right way because all I knew was the traditional path that I took that led me to D.C., And I had a realization where I was like, okay, I can make a difference even in tech. I can make a difference at a startup. I can be on the other side of the table if I were to find something that that I feel like is actually bringing something new to the world, to the way that we work, to the way that we commute, to the way that we live our lives. And so I thought, hey, government is not the only way to make a difference. Policy, my mind was very much in the policy space, is not the only way to make a difference. But innovation is a great way to directly impact people's lives. So I was like, you know what? I want to get into tech. I'm not a technical person. I don't know how to code. <laughs> what are the options? 
So that's when I do start doing a little bit of research. I learned that, hey, tech and startups, they have all sorts of roles and they need all mm -hmm. sorts of talents to be re represented. I write well, I read well, what can I do there? And what can I do on the go-to-market side in terms of the business acumen? So I started researching some roles and there was this role that was called customer success. And it's not quite a sales role, so you don't need to be selling anything, but you need to make sure that you're supporting clients and you need to make sure that you're able to communicate the technology to somebody who, or a business who is trying to use the technology. And I felt like that felt like a really good intersection of some of the skills I had developed over the years, some of the interests I have that are forward-looking, and it was not as scary as something like becoming an engineer or becoming a salesperson. So I applied to, I want to say, definitely more than 200 startups hmm. for roles that were titled customer success or client success or anything like that. And then I finally landed a role with a startup. It was a remote job, and the startup was an electronic signature solution, so kind of competitor to DocuSign. And I was the first customer success hire at this startup. I reported directly to the CEO, and we were trying to figure out, like, how are we going to implement this software at businesses who need to sign a lot of legal documents? And working there exposed me to the whole world that is tech because I was on the right hand of the CEO. I was not only learning about my function, but I was learning, like, what it meant to run a business. And the challenges that he was dealing with day in and day out. So what does it mean to hire the best talent? What does it mean to have potential investors influencing your decisions? What does it mean to think about runway? What does it mean to get connected at conferences or create like a lead gen strategy? So it was really like the full scope of running a business and launching a startup through his eyes. And I, I always feel like I feel like I got my crash course, my MBA in one year doing that. And so after being there for some time, I had a chance to grow the team. I ended up leading customer success and support at that organization and hired out all of those teams. And then I was ready for a new challenge. And by that point, I had become fully embedded, fully ingrained with the tech ecosystem. And there was this one product that I was obsessed with, personal super fan. Immediately upon using the product, I was like, this feels different. There's something special here. And that was Notion. And so I was like really drawn to the product more than anything. And I wanted to work at Notion at all costs. So I was able to apply. I had a chance to interview and have been there ever since. And I was an early hire at Notion of one of the first 50 employees. We've grown quite a bit in the last three years, as you mentioned. And similar story, I've gotten the chance to build and scale the customer success team here. So that was a... Quite a ride. Exam quite a ride and the rocket ship still going. So that's, ship's going. Uh, I love how that piece on loving and obsessing over a product, because mm. uh, that's a great gateway for people that want to break into startups. Actually, look at your phone right now and look at the apps you use and look at the ones that actually have something special. Right. Something, I'm not talking about Google Calendar. I'm talking about, okay, is there something that actually resonates with you and you're like, okay, this is beyond that there's something special here right um, or is there something that you wish would exist and you're like man i really want to do this thing or i wish there was an app or i wish something like this existed and search and see where that takes you is there somebody you're figuring this out is there something similar that's trying to solve this problem and reach out and see what kind of help they need or where you can insert yourself to gain some learnings or some perspective i, I love how humble you are I love that about you because, I mean, like, 
You, you didn't just get your master's. You were at Georgetown at the School of Foreign Service. Like in, I'm sure that the multiverse is in, it's something fashionable right now. I'm sure there's a multiverse where you're Ambassador Perez serving that would in have been cool. Guatemala or somewhere. <laughs> there's still time. Yeah, there's, there's still, still time. time. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. What's your family background? Yeah, my family's Cuban, but I was born and raised in Miami. Big Cuban community. Gotcha. I grew up in a really Cuban neighborhood. I looked up on Wikipedia. I was like 99.9% Cuban or Cuban-American. Most of us were probably, I want to say, first generation. And so growing up, a lot of my peers were in similar situations as me. We were probably the first ones figuring out how to read mail for our parents and like mm. translate emails for our parents, even from a very young age and like navigating this. But I think one thing that has always stuck out to me is that although my parents didn't have a, f a full understanding of all of the kind of complexities or opportunities in the United States, they did have an understanding that at least education was important. Mm. And if they couldn't control anything else, education was a big bet they could take that could allow for upward mobility to happen. And so they didn't, my parents could never help me like write a resume or my parents never had an email account, but they knew that education was really important. And they enforced that from a very young age on both me and my sister as a method of mobility, but also as a method of just giving us opportunities that they didn't have. And so looking back on that, I'm like, man, those are some rough times, like sitting at the dinner table, trying to do the math problems. And my parents like not letting me go outside until everything was done. But I really appreciate that now. I, I think I had a good experience, a good relationship with education. I think that opened a lot of doors for me and my sister that came out of the meritocracy of performing well in school, which I realize is not always the case in a lot of other areas. But in that short, those short decades that are very formative and very influential, a lot of the opportunities did come out of the influence and the emphasis on education since I was young. Yeah, no, that's, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that, that's a common theme in mm -hmm. that in, in first generation households that, yep. hey, I, I moved us to this country because I want you to have a better life than right. I did back there, whatever there it is. So that's a common theme. And I think that it comes down to the network effects mm -hmm. that, hey, grow up, growing up in Miami, you're going to have a certain experience that's going to be different than somebody that grew up in New York or in right. SF. And like, I, I look at your background and I see that, okay, I want to be the number one in international relations, diplomacy. I'm going to move to DC. Okay, I want to be number one in tech and startups. I'm going to move to SF. Right. So being open to that mobility, that honestly, that, that immigrant mentality that we have. Yep. That, hey, I've done what I needed to do here. I'm going to go look for opportunities somewhere else. Yep. That's, yeah. uh, that's something, that's a privilege we have that, that I think that it's important to underline. Yeah. And I realize that it's scary to do that and it takes a lot of courage to do that. And I also realized that it's an immense privilege to have been able to do that and have had like my family support in those areas because I, not everyone has the same story. Some people, maybe they have to stay at home and they have to care for a loved one or they have other things going on from a financial perspective. And I think that, again, the theme that like growing like that kind of directed all of these 
decisions where like we don't fully understand it. I remember I was going to college and I went to Providence, Rhode Island, which is like mm. the most random place to go. <laughs> you, go well, you, you went to Brown, right? Yeah. yeah, I went to Brown in Providence and I could sense that my family was very proud and understood that it was a big deal, but they didn't fully understand it because they weren't that familiar with it. And it's like, no, oh, it's a good school. Trust me, trust me that I know what I'm doing. And so they're like, okay, we don't fully understand it, but we know that it's a step up and it's a step in the right direction. And it's going to be a way for you to continue to move up in your story as the next generation. And so they were supportive when it came to anything related to that, even if it was moving to Washington, D.C. or moving to the Bay Area for a new career opportunity. It was an understanding that like, there's trust that this is something that's good for you and like in order for you to experience maybe major step changes in your life and in your generation, then you do need to make some big decisions and take mm -hmm. some big bets that are maybe a little bit scarier outside of the norm. And so I was always grateful for that level of support, but I realized not it, it was a privilege to also be able to do that and not have to necessarily worry about other responsibilities at the same time. It's a privilege and a sacrifice because you know, being away from family and yes, we have WhatsApp, but it's, it's not the same. And That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so I think just being mindful of all these opportunities and the things that you have to make happen in order to get where you are. I'm curious, maybe we can double click a little bit more on customer success and what's your day to day looks like, you know, if there's like a typical week or a typical skill set that you use every day. I'm curious if you can walk us through what is customer success at Notion look like? Cool. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Notion is a product that has really exploded, especially over the last couple of years. And it has a lot of love from end users. It has a lot of love from the community. A lot of our love is really organic. People just immediately get the value out of the product. They think it's so cool and customizable and helps them be more productive. And so that is really like the engine that has always propelled Notion, which is this concept of it's a very design forward product and a very just like product led value realization that you can get pretty quickly once you use it and understand it. And so I've been really grateful to see that organic growth happen because now my friends send me Notion docs for a trip that we're planning and it's part of their lives as yeah. well, which has been really cool to see. Yeah, bachelorette party or something yeah, or, exactly. or high school reunion. Yeah, all the trip planning. I get Notion docs or I have a friend who's job hunting right now and putting all of her opportunities in a Notion database. So that's really cool to have seen that growth. And so part of my day to day when I initially started was just making sense of that and taking any sort of like feedback and learnings back to the business. As I mentioned, we were one of the, I was one of the first 50 employees. So it was a small team. From the outside, it looked like Notion was huge and it looked like we had like this huge global company, but yes. it was just people were in a warehouse at the time. 50 people in a warehouse kind of figuring this out. So a lot of it was just like listening to the community, listening to our first users, our first customers, and figuring out what's working, what's resonating, and like how we can continue to invest in that. But I was specifically hired for the business application of Notion. So not individual users and individual productivity lovers, but companies and businesses implementing the software across the board for their for the, all of their employees. And we didn't have too many of those when I first joined, 
But it was a part of our business that was really quickly growing. It was the B2B side of the business that was really quickly growing. And today it's all an entire function at Notion is the B2B side of the house. So today what that looks like is I have a team of customer success managers. And what they do is that they make sure that our business clients are setting up Notion, implementing Notion, that their end users are all getting trained on how to use this new software, and basically that they're getting everything that we promised that they were going to get when we initially sold to them. So I call it like bringing the expectation and the reality together. Mm. We need to make sure that they're getting the most out of their investment and they're getting the most value out of our product. And my team sits post-sales. And so the way that it typically works is a business will procure Notion licenses for their whole company, and then they're ready to rock and roll, and a customer success manager from my team will be assigned to be their relationship manager and their expert, and then they will help them set it up in all of the right ways. So yeah, that's where my team sits, and I really like the position that we're in because we're in the top quadrant of Notion in terms of the types of businesses and users that use Notion, we're in the top up into the right quadrant. In other words, my team sits with the largest companies and the largest deployments of Notion at scale. So one customer success manager is probably supporting company A, but company A has 2,000 licenses with Notion, right? So what does it look like to use Notion successfully at a company of 2,000 employees? And so we are in this unique position where we know what it looks like to use Notion at a large scale. We know what applications of Notion in the prof professional environment look like, including AI, which is a big one. We just launched an AI product. What does AI professional look like? What do professional AI use cases look like? And then we inform that back to the business. So we're able to tell them, hey, this is what we should be thinking about. This is what we should be building. This is what's coming next. This is what's going to continue to help us go more upmarket and work with larger and larger clients over time. And so my team always says we feel like we're in the future. In other words, like <laughs> we're already seeing what's coming. We're already seeing what the upper threshold looks like. And we're informing the business on what it will take to continue to play in that space. So it's been a fun ride starting from the very first days when we had our first ever business client to now where it's a fully operational side of the house. It's been good to build the team. When it comes to those business to business applications and those use cases, and I don't want you to share anything confidential or anything that can get anybody in trouble, but I'm curious if there's like a common misconception or a, or a common mistake that people do when they want to implement Notion in their business? Is there a common one that like, oh yeah, no, you don't want to do that because nobody's going to use it. Is there such thing? I think the biggest misconception is that people underestimate what Notion can do or they think that Notion can do X amount of things when it can actually do like X plus an infinite number of other things. <laughs> so it's more on the education of what all is possible with Notion. So I think we, I think the core moat that we hear is like documentation and note taking and being your company's knowledge base or your company's wiki. And that's certainly a great use case for Notion, probably one of our strongest use cases, but it doesn't stop there. And I think telling that story, and we can probably do a better job of highlighting those use cases better, is where I see it, where you mentioned a little bit of the challenges. So Notion actually has pretty robust project management and task management capabilities. 
we also have an AI product. So we have lots, the world of generative text AI, especially generative text AI that lives in a knowledge base, that is extremely powerful. And then we also have very powerful kind of integrations where you can create workflows with some of your other apps. I think that businesses probably don't realize that Notion can be doing a lot more for them. And they probably have 10 other tools that are each covering that one niche use case. Like I probably have a very niche task management tool, mm -hmm. probably have a chat GPT or something else. And like part of the education is explaining that most of those use cases can be covered natively in Notion. So we can definitely help them. The benefit of Notion is that if everyone is using it, it creates a network effect. But if everyone is right. using it for a lot of different use cases, then that becomes your entire environment of your organization. It's where knowledge lives, but also where work is getting done. And that just makes it a lot more powerful as this kind of all-in-one workspace. So trying to create more awareness around that is, is what my team thinks about a lot. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, can I share with you one of my favorite Notion moments? Like Tell the, me. So I, I volunteer sometimes with this organization called Code for Venezuela. They make software solutions for issues in the country, like Twitter bots, Telegram bots, things like that. And they use Notion to collaborate. And I remember the, how the, the, some of the volunteers, I was walking them through how to use Notion and I showed them the command K, mm. how they can search through the whole database. Yep. Oh my God, their eyes sparkled. Yep. It's, wait, I was clicking down three layers of menus. To, no, no, command K. Yep. No, don't forget about folders. Just search, search. Yep. Yeah, keyboard <laughs> Keyboard shortcuts, it's, that's also a whole world of things that I think a lot of our users are not aware of, which is keyboard shortcuts. There's just a lot where the more you pull on the thread, the more you realize how long the thread is and how deep this Pandora's box can go. And so it's a never-ending kind of evolution with understanding how Notion can serve you. Every day I'm learning about something new that I can be doing with Notion. And so if that's how I feel and I work here, like I can't imagine how our customers are feeling. So creating those aha moments over and over again. Yes. And things like the Reddit Notion community that everybody's making templates and commenting and helping each other out and they make discord groups and yeah the that that fan base that notion base that is, is just it's beautiful it's beautiful when people come together around um, a product like that totally i think the community has been the strongest pillar for us and it's all organic people are like oh did you like implant these things to happen we really didn't they all spurred up pretty organically i think now maybe in the last year you might see Notion billboards and things like that. But up until very recently, we were not investing directly in some of these things. And so the Reddit community is a fully organic community. I think it's the largest Reddit community for a software that exists. So who's getting so rallied behind a software? Like how can a software spark that level of love and excitement? And so the community has been super strong. And I think the user-generated content piece is what has really just unlocked the floodgates of what Notion can do. And I think Canva does this really well too. If I had to think of the two companies that are doing this really well, I think of Notion and I think of Canva, where it's like the company doesn't need to figure out every potential template that they need to hard code and build and put out there. Like just open it up, give people the building blocks and allow them to then create these templates, create this content that can be reused in a multitude of ways. So. A lot of the Notion use cases that I see, I've discovered through the community. I've discovered that people can put 
track their plants and that people can do all of these things. But it's not something that we would have ever been able to figure out internally sitting around the table and coming up with ideas. It's really all up to the community. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, the Notion ambassadors, they do a fantastic job of putting templates, doing those show and tell. And people love to show off their work to some extent. Exactly. People love to, hey, I built this. Guess what? You can use it. Go take it. Have fun. Run with it. Go, going back to customer success, and I don't mean to put you on the spot in this question. Actually, I do mean to put you on the spot. So <laughs> let's do it. I'm curious from, from your perspective as a customer success manager, what are the skills that differentiate a good customer su success specialist from a great customer success specialist? What are those extra mile? What are those must have skills from good to great customer yep. success specialist? I love this question. And I have seen enough times where I actually feel a lot of conviction around my answer which is, and I think maybe it sounds cheesy, but it's so true, is like insatiable curiosity because it, it comes down to those reading between the line moments that really allow the customer success manager to wow the client much more than a customer success manager who maybe doesn't have that same level of insatiable curiosity. And I think I can provide an example of this, but it's really wanting to dig in and not being satisfied with the surface level answers or the scripted kind of boilerplate questions and answers, but really digging in and, and taking the five whys approach to your customer interactions. So an example of this could be, okay, I am in a call with the customer success manager and the client and the client says, oh yeah, and then we were looking at Notion and these five other tools, and then we decided that Notion had the best security features. And we, a, bo a boilerplate answer could be like, yes, we do have the best security features. Great choice. Thank you so much. Let's move on. But really what I want them to say is, oh, you mentioned there was five other tools. What were those five other tools? Do you mind listing them out for me? And how did you even discover that these were competitors to us how did you start this process of evaluation? What was your criteria? Like really digging into what is going on in the psyche of the customer? Because now you're armed with a lot more information as a customer success manager. And now you learned that actually this other feature was just as important to them as security, but you wouldn't have learned that if you hadn't dug in. And now maybe on every follow-up or every future interaction with this client, you're emphasizing those two things that they cared a lot about. But you would have never known that had you not dug in. And so I see the best customer success managers as the ones that are able to really dig in, read between the lines, and then make sure that every subsequent interaction is super tailored to those elements that are important to the client. And then there's some customer success managers who are a little bit more scripted, and they're going to follow the typical questions, they're going to follow the typical touch points, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you you ask the question, how do you go from good to great? And that's mm -hmm. what I would highlight. No. Thank you. My, my background is in competitive intelligence and sales enablement. So whenever those five competitors pop up, I want to know about them. Exactly. And sure. I can't do my research on them or direct my research on them unless I know they exist, I, I, unless I know they're popping into conversations. That's right. So that's why I, when I would collaborate with the CSM folks, that's my first or second question. Who is popping up in the conversations? Yep. 
Just who's getting mentioned because, and, and I really like this philosophy of treat a whisper like a shout, because maybe right now it's small, the ripples right. they're making, but maybe that can turn into a tsunami a quarter or two down the road. Yeah. So that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that's going to be very helpful for people interested into breaking into startups through customer success. Absolutely. And I want to bridge that to my next question, which is how would you go about it if you were starting over? What you know now that, hey, I love customer success. I think I have the skill set. How would you go about finding an entry-level role in, in customer success with what you've learned now from the industry? Yeah, great question. And I actually have a notion guide on how to break into CS and some community resources. So I can link it. We can share it with the listeners afterward. But I think it's actually like such a cool and crucial time right now to be breaking into tech or finding a new role within customer success. Because I think a lot of the rules that traditionally exist are out the window. So obviously with COVID, like, that opened the door to companies being much more open to remote work. So all of a sudden we have a very expansive base of people that can be potentially candidates. So I think location independence has been great for job opportunities. So there's a lot there where maybe the barrier to entry is a little bit lower. But typically when it comes to customer success specifically, I think there's a lot of transferable skills. And I think like telling the story around those transferable skills are super, super important. So thinking about a customer success manager's job is to marry the product and the product offering and the solution to what the customer wants. And so finding ways where there are similar stories where you delivered something, some deliverable that helped to solve a problem. If you've ever sold anything or maybe not sold something, but put something out there in the world that you were able to either implement or have a, a process through the launch and telling the story of how you're able to make that into a reality. I think that's great. I think there's courses and I, I, I think like courses are cool. Maybe people have different opinions on courses, but if I don't see direct CS experience on a resume, but I see that they have taken LinkedIn courses or Udemy courses about customer success specifically because they want the domain or the industry knowledge, then that does stand out to me. So if you don't have the direct experience, I think you can supplement your resume with very relevant courses. And then I would also recommend that there's some entry-level customer success jobs that you can start with. And at startups, especially smaller startups, they move a lot faster. I think people are worried about joining at an entry-level job because then they're like, oh, no, I'm never going to be able to get out of this. You'd be really surprised, especially at a fast-growing startup. As I mentioned, my prior company, I joined as a customer success manager, and by the end of it, I was leading customer success and support globally, and that was all within a span of less than four years. So I think that is really possible. There's roles like customer success associate, so look for associate in the title, and then there's levels of customer success where you start off with smaller customers or smaller clients and you work your way up. So some of those titles are like commercial customer success manager, SMB customer success manager for small and medium businesses or scale customer success manager. Sometimes I see those titles to mean like you'll start working with some of the larger or sorry, some of the smaller companies and you mm -hmm. could work your way up to the larger logos as well. So you don't have to try to shoot for like enterprise grade customer success manager right out the gate, but there's leveling within that role as well. Great, great. That's extremely helpful. That's extremely helpful. 
I would just add that if you are the kind of person that you are the IT person for your family, if you have the patience to walk your abuelita through using Facebook and using the cool new emojis, I find that a lot of customer success and enablement is that, is being patient with people, having that, that empathy, the radical empathy that, hey, they just want their thing to work. Right. They And I'm here to help them bridge that gap. That's right. So having that patience, that empathy, that that's also a big plus. 100%. And I love that example. It's like you're the customer success manager for your family. <laughs> like, it's, you asked what makes a great customer success manager, and I mentioned curiosity. Another thing, too, is the expertise and the knowledge of the product. So once mm -hmm. you do join a company or even prior, like, really feeling good that you know how to use the product well. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is just like you would do for your abuelita. You would say, hey, I know Instagram really well. You don't know Instagram, but you want to use it for X thing. So I'm going to show you an illustration of how to do that and walk you through it. That can only happen if Instagram, you know, Instagram. Mm -hmm. really. And so I highly recommend that. It was like, if you're going for a company, research the product, start using the product, start getting an understanding, at least for the core functionality because your job in the future will be basically to make that core functionality work the way the customer wants and to get them to that outcome as fast as possible. And it's not rocket science. It really is like the curiosity goes back into it, like understanding what the product is intended to do, understanding your audience, which might be your abuelita or it might be a VP at a company, and then bridging those two things together. Definitely. Love that. And last but not least, we cannot, I can't let you go on unless we talk a little bit about productivivity because we have to, it's a, it's a notion podcast. So that's right. People love to, to ask, oh, how do you plan your day? And I find that's a bit of a too narrow of a scope question. Mm. I'm more curious about how do you go about planning your week? How do you use notion? How does it help you to plan your week and rebound when your week doesn't go as planned? Yeah, great question. So I do weekly to-do lists. I don't do daily to-do lists. And my weekly to-do lists sometimes compound from the previous week. So typically on a Sunday or even Monday morning, I will dump everything that I think needs to happen for the entire week. And part of that is looking back at the previous week's to-do list and figuring out what didn't get done and what things I'm going to drag into the new to-do list. And some of those things, I get rid of them all together because for whatever reason, things are moving faster and no longer necessary. But the other things, I continue to move them into the new weekly to-do list. And then within that, I basically go every day and I try to knock out as many things as possible. But I also set an estimated day for almost all of these things. So it's okay, I know I absolutely need to like film this recorded video by the end of this week, but it's not a Monday kind of thing. It's a Thursday or Friday kind of thing. Well, I will delegate that to the Thursday or Friday bucket. So once I see everything all together for the whole week, I also prioritize chronologically within that and try to obviously do the first Monday things first. By the end of the week, my to-do list if I'm being honest, is maybe 70% complete. Mm. There's just some things that I was really ambitious about. Oh, go return this item at this store. Maybe I didn't get to that. So there's some spillover that happens every week. But I think it's as simple as keeping that list. I used to do daily to-do lists, and I got really frustrated. 
for same, that reason. Same. It's too short of a framework. It's too short of a time frame. Exactly. It's way too short. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. So now I just think about, I think about weekly sprints. What do I need to do this week? By this time next week, I want all of these things to have been made progress on. And then, as I mentioned, even within the weekly to-do list, I decide if that's like a front-loaded item or a back-loaded item. That's, that's very helpful. That's very helpful. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Just knowing that, hey, it's some things from the list you can just delete. They're no yep. longer relevant. It's okay. Oh, yeah, I got charged a $5 late fee for that thing. That's fine because in those five, those, that hour, I shipped this thing that helped 10 customers. So That's right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of Notion, too. Everything is a block structure. So I can drag and drop the things that I do want to carry over into the next week's to-do list. Otherwise, it's staying in the archive. It never got done. Let's just close mm. that one out. So I can pick and choose what I'm not like duplicating it or rewriting it. I'm literally just dragging it into the new week and everything else that I don't want to get to anymore. I just let it go. I like the idea, if I can share it with you, of having a what I call a, a leverage goal for mm. the week. And what I mean by leverage is that it's something that's going to help me in the future. It can be make a template about my podcast interviews yep. or make a Canva template on the thumbnail that I use for my YouTube channel. Or it can be something that's going to help me in the future. It's not necessarily like the biggest thing. It's not necessarily something that's going to take me like two hours to do. It can be on something that takes you 10 minutes. Yep. But future me is going to appreciate that past me did this. Mm -hmm. So having at least one of those. I having love that. something that's going to like automate or delegate stuff in the future. Yeah, I love this idea of doing something that is going to take you closer to your goals, even if those goals are over a longer time horizon. I once heard this concept of pulling weeds and planting seeds. And some of the things that you're doing is pulling weeds and we got to do it and we got to get it out and we got to just send the follow-up emails. And then some of those things are planting seeds for the future, to your point. And even those planting seeds are probably a series of smaller steps that you're taking towards that larger goal. So even including that as part of your weekly to-do list is great. An example could be like maybe you have a dream to launch a coffee shop one day in the future in a year or two from now, but you want to put on your to-do list something that will take you one step closer to that year-long goal this week. And maybe it's something as simple as research the best coffee shops in my area and read their reviews to understand what's going well. It's a research, but it's one of the micro goals within this larger goal that you have. So finding time to integrate those planting seeds goals, I think is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And if you only have 10 minutes, look for a picture of a coffee shop you like and print it, put it on your vision board. There you go. <laughs> I love that. Oh yeah. We got to get into vision boards at some point. I'm a big yeah. Fan. No, you're going to, you're going to come back. You're going to come back. Uh, we'll <laughs> talk all about vision boards and goal planning. Monica, I want to be respectful of your time. Anything else you wanted to share about you working at Notion, life? I would just end with, I think, being first generation, especially in the Latino community, there's different types of privilege that exists. I touched on this earlier, but one of the realizations I had only in college was, number one, that there's all sorts of privilege in the world. And I think we, we know a lot about that. And we know about 
like different categories of privilege, but one that came into my consciousness later was the privilege of access to resources or access to advice or coaching from like your parents or your immediate network. And I think that it wasn't until college that I it really hit me in the face. That was a big differentiator between me and my peers, that they did have the privilege of having a much more connected family network or access to advice because generationally their family had done this before. And I was experiencing almost everything for the first time. And I touched on this earlier, but I, my parents worked really hard, but they were not able to like give me advice on how to pitch yourself to an internship or things like that. And so a lot of that was me figuring that out for the first time. And so what that taught me was fortunately or unfortunately, the value of pulling in resources to yourself in cases where they're just not going to present themselves. And so I just want to leave everybody with that, which is don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody and say, hey, how can I learn from you? Don't be afraid to find somebody who's doing something cool and ask them to tell you their story or to mentor you. Because in a lot of pos- in a lot of these situations, like we have to pull it in and bring it in towards ourselves to be able to arm yourself at the same level that maybe other people already have. And so I had to get over my own shyness. I had to get over my own pleasantries and really pull in information and fight and pull in those resources to be able to get me to the next step in my life. And that still exists today. We're still pulling in, trying to find individuals, trying to find an introduction or somebody that can that has is maybe just one or two steps ahead of me that can show me what that looks like. And I wouldn't underestimate the power of that. Again, it is maybe an unfortunate thing that has to be done, but it is absolutely necessary. I wouldn't have gotten any of the things that I've gotten or where I am today if I hadn't tapped into the knowledge of somebody that was just barely ahead of me and that can provide me that guidance. And that wasn't going to come probably organically. I just wasn't in those spaces. And so I really had to pull those resources into myself. And so I would say that was a big differentiator. And I had to build up my self-confidence and my and lower my pride a little bit. But it really made a difference long term. And it's something that I'm cognizant of now trying to help other people. Like I want to be that person that can provide them to someone else. So also not forgetting that and, and remembering to give back. And you're giving back right now. So I thank you. Thank you so much, Monica. I really appreciate you coming to the podcast. This is great. Thank you, Hugo. This is awesome.